Thanks for tuning in today. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Join me as I seek out the small incremental changes being applied in other industries that we can learn from and that can be applied in healthcare. Can these changes bring immediate value, but also add up to the big improvements and revolution we need in healthcare? Come along with me to explore the possibilities. My innovative guests from around the globe have used small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. And today, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Robert Brisk. He's the Chief Scientific Officer at OLAS. Rob, thanks for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me, Nick. Pleasure to be here. So, um, obviously, we just have to clarify for uh, users, uh, listeners that uh, are listening in, um, you know, they'll have to separate out those uh, brilliant uh, dulcet tones of the British accent. Normally, it's very easy to tell who's talking, but uh, in this instance, we share a little bit of common heritage. Uh, I hail from uh, the same shores as you do. Um, as I do with all my um, guests, I like to start out with a little bit of history um, and how you got to this position. You're one of those uh, unique individuals. You're the doctor doctor of the world. Tell us about your <laughs> pathway to this point um, uh, today, if you would. Yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, as you know, Nick, something else we share is um, how we started out our careers. I was also a an out-and-out out medic when I started my professional life and um, pursued a pretty conventional NHS career for the first number of years, meaning I went through kind of general training and especially training and then got what would in the US be, I think, a, a residency program place. And at that time in my life, I'd, I'd always been interested in computers, always kind of tinkered in the background, had never anticipated computers would perform any sort of... Uh, would fill any meaningful role in my in my professional work. And then for a variety of reasons that we might or might not go into, in around 2016, I realized actually, I love clinical medicine, but it's not all I want to do. I was sort of at that point where I'd kind of done all the hard bits, you know, all these competitive programs that you had to get onto and all these exams you had to sit. And then I was staring down the barrel at probably the next 30, 35 years of my career and thinking, not only this, you know, I, I want to do this, but I don't only want to do this. And so I began kind of picking up my interest in, in computers again and was just at the right time to catch the kind of the first swell of the AI wave. You know, 2016 was the AlphaGo year for listeners who are familiar with the world of AI. So that was the big landmark event. And I got wind of that and thought, this is really, really interesting, like, like nothing I've ever come across. And 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 the further I went into that world, the more I thought, this is the technology of our age. This is, you know, we're going to talk about hype, I'm sure, over the course of our discussion now. But but hype aside, I thought this is this is world changing at some level or another, and particularly if that world is clinical medicine. So I, uh, the, the rest is sort of history. I, I would been drawn further and further into that world. I was able to go and do a PhD in computer science to really formalize um, that part of my of my professional life. I went and did a couple of years at NVIDIA, um, uh, of whom most people will now have heard. At, at the time, people knew them as a gaming chip company, but of course, they've radically transformed themselves. And then um, now, I'm, as you say, I'm at OLUS, where I'm uh, working. I spent four days a week working largely with what people are tending to call large language models, but in a clinical context. And then one day a week, I'm still in the hospital practicing um, in general adult cardiology. Um, and I think... I re I'm really, really enjoying the confluence of those two worlds and being at that interface uh, I, I, and 
being able to kind of anticipate all these exciting things that are going to happen, I hope, within our lifetimes. You know, I'm almost embarrassed to tell a little bit of my, you know, counter uh, story to that because it, it, you're, you're right, very similar. Started out in clinical medicine, but in my case, <laughs> I, it was a lot earlier than you, and I had to be excited um, by a, a 16k uh, portable device called a Scion organizer that just blew my mind. I was, wow, this is amazing! Just think what this could do. And here you are talking about AlphaGo as as your sort of inflection point. And I'm thinking, wow, if I'd seen that, imagine what I would have thought. So I, and and I've been on this journey, and it's it it just continues to expand. I mean, it's truly exciting. I love it. Very similar. The only difference for me was the capacity to combine those two worlds just never really materialized, certainly in the days. It was very hard to find that, um, you know, and mostly in the clinical world, people looked at me oddly and said, why are you doing this? And in the business world, they said, no, you focus on this. So I didn't have that luxury, unfortunately, but, um, you know, I, I love hearing this as, you know, more and more people because ultimately we need physicians involved because I, I think it is, uh, it, it's it's abundantly clear to me. Tell me if you disagree, but I think this technology, and I'll use the broadest term AI to sort of encompass all of the elements, and that's large language models, deep learning, all of the contributions, is going to revolutionize our space. I think it will revolutionize lots of others, but certainly in healthcare. And, you know, you're at the nexus of this. I mean, it, it's just, I, I'm so excited to hear a little bit about the NVIDIA experience because. That was still early days. They they were, you know, still really graphics orientated. How did you end up there and what, what did you end up doing? Yeah, no, great, great question. And, and just before I talk about NVIDIA, to your point about uh, when, what drew you into this world, I think the earlier you got excited about this world and realized it was going somewhere special, like the more credit you could take. I think if it was AlphaGo that turned you onto that world, it was more or less, you know, the writing was very You're, you're being kind, but thank you. <laughs> Um, yeah, so NVIDIA, yeah, I, I probably was, um, I mean, I mean, you, 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 with NVIDIA, the nice thing is you can use their stock price uh, to, to really track their journey and their transition. And uh, I wasn't right at the very beginning of, of, of that move, which, um, you know, to my financial detriment to an extent, <laughs> because guys who had joined even just 18 months before me, um, who they really saw that transition happen where NVIDIA did a huge pivot. The point where I joined was um, the, the the point where NVIDIA had you know, very clearly realized uh, as a company that, that this was you know their, their business model and, and, and the future of the entire digital economy and all in all likelihood. I mean, probably Jensen Huang, who's a CEO and a bit of a visionary, realized it well before that, but it had been absorbed into the company ethos and they were beginning to diversify and say, okay, we need some expertise in various different fields. So, you know, we need people in FSI. So the financial services industry, we need people in autonomous vehicles. Right. Healthcare was one of those domains that had been identified as one of the pillars of, of the future of AI. And um, and so NVIDIA were looking for a few people to who had crossover expertise, who who could talk about you know the stuff that the silicon did, who could talk about the stuff, the software that ran on the silicon, but who also understood the mm. impact of the of the applications that were being built on this stack, to use a technical term. So, you know, really from an, an, an oversight of the world from patient to processor and back was kind of the way we started to talk about it a little bit. 
So they actually brought in a number of people who had expertise in drug discovery, in medical imaging. I was fortunate enough to be one of two physicians in the company. So there's Mona Flores, who, who's still a video in the States, who, who's a good friend of mine. She was a cardiothoracic surgeon before she joined NVIDIA. And then I was the sort of the physician covering the uh, EMEA region. Um, my job was a, a real mix of things. NVIDIA describes themselves as the world's biggest startup. And when you're inside the company, uh, it, it does feel like that. Uh, fantastic place to work mm. always always really highly rated on glassdoor and and, and rightly so uh, but also very busy and um and, and at times you're never quite sure what the next few weeks are going to hold which you know if you, if you like that it's great if you don't it's a little bit terrifying i ended up sort of setting up and establishing a, a number of collaborations my, my job and I, I ended up being um sort of the global lead for partnerships in, in the life sciences space so i would get to work with People doing really exciting stuff from companies like AstraZeneca and GFK and some very big and well-known academic institutions and a couple of big clinical organizations. And, and my job would be to work out what, what are all these people doing? What are the key trends that are emerging from all this work? And how do we position ourselves so that we're involved in projects that are ahead of their ahead of the curve? So that by the time the the world at large starts adopting these applications at scale, we've already been collaborating with people and, and been bringing in a deep understanding, which was yeah an enormous privilege. If, if, if you're interested in this world, and, mm. and it's probably clear already that I, I am, then um, it's sort of licensed to go and sniff around for what's interesting and, and get yourself genned up on it. Um, so a brilliant time. What a fantastic opportunity. I mean, I think, you know, especially with that combination and um, you know, at least one other individual who has a similar background that's sort of, I think, helpful in terms of settling into an environment. I certainly found myself alone for. So I, I, I can only imagine. And, you know, from a company standpoint, I, you know, I've been fortunate to land at a company that, uh, you know, very similar sort of experience, one of the best, nicest cultures you know, most dynamic that I've had the the sort of privilege of working with, which has truly been, um, you know, a real positive experience. So I can really, um, you know, associate with that. As you think about where we are now, so, you know, let's get into it um, and, and talk about some of the hype and, you know, where the technology is. I think chat GPT hit the waves. I've got to say, everybody that's in AI goes, yeah, well, of course this stuff works. I mean, you know, what are we talking about? This is not as new as everyone thinks it is. But it was the same Siri moment that we saw with speech recognition. Everybody goes, wow, this speech stuff really works. And that, for me, was a positive because everybody's saying, well, this is good, you know, more accepting. And then, of course, comes all the, um, hey, we do this. You know, there's an awful lot of marketing hype. I think there's great potential. You're obviously knee deep in these large language models. They're I, they're almost magical. I mean, I feel like it's a sort of Harry Potter <laughs> kind of moment with some of the capabilities. Yeah. And as you read the 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 digest of folks that really deeply understand this, even for some of them, they say, "I'm not sure how it's doing that." But it's achieving some really impressive. So so let's start with the positive and say. It, it, it's clearly doing some amazing things. What are your thoughts about that technology, certainly your space, your focus, that's really going to bring about, let's say, some short-term and you know medium-term opportunities in healthcare? Yeah, great question. 
So I think I think the first thing to say is is ChatGPT and, and particularly you know the underlying technology, which in in, in the in the proprietary case of OpenAI's GPT model series, these, these generative pre-trained transformers. Um, but more broadly, what the, the, the technical term you do for these things is very large-scale transformer-based um, models, you know, sequence-to-sequence models. People you say call them LLMs, large language models. That's actually a bit of a misnomer because mm. they are by no means limited to language. People also call it generative AI, which is another misnomer. But mm-hmm. we understand what we're talking about when we're talking about these things. The, the reason they're so exciting is, is that the concepts that, that that have been proven out by chat GPT, particularly if you have access to the GPT-4 powered model. So GPT-4 is by far and away the biggest, most powerful AI model that's publicly available today. It's, it's a multi-trillion parameter model. Mm. That's huge. If you want to draw some like really fast and really loose analogies in terms of the number of synaptic connections, you know, I'm, I'm doing air quotes now between these artificial neurons. You know, you're talking about the the size of a, of a, of a small mammalian. Can, I, can brain. I just say, oh, behave? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, but but what 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 it's clearly proven is, is that you know through this relatively simple paradigm. You know, in in the case when you are talking about language based applications, is next word prediction and some some um, sort of naysayers about this are fond of dismissing these models as simply next word predictors, um, to which I would say, well, we as humans, we're simply next motor neuron predictors. Right. You know, it, the, the, the mechanism of interaction is less important than the fact that by training models like this, you can get them to learn these incredibly sophisticated, complex, and abstract representations of the world around us that they can right. reason over. And we're not sure where that journey ends because to date we haven't seen the the ceiling of the performance scaling of these things you know how right. how far above multi-trillion parameter models can you go and we know that they can bring a different sensory modalities you know again i'm using the term sensory in a very loose yeah. sense but yeah they can Understood. make sense of language and you've got gpt4 vision which has just been re- released under early access so these things can 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 reason in a way that's very very human-like uh, and and I think you know to to stray perhaps into the world of hype will will be superhuman in some respects. Already is superhuman mm. in some respects. So it's not the ChatGPT itself. ChatGPT is an application. Right. The technology that underpowers it has such huge potentials across so many different domains and so many different applications that I think that's what we're all excited about. And you know, people who don't understand this world, you know, my mom, for example. Um, She's not a technophobe, but she's definitely not in any way into this space. Mm-hmm. You show her chat GPT and she's impressed because it is like magic. But you know, I'm I'm telling her this stuff's gonna change the world. It's gonna it's gonna change, you know, how my kids experience the world around them. Uh, and 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 I think a lot of people are struggling to make that leap, but it's 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 you know what we can do with the same technology that powers that. And and, and of course, what I'm particularly excited about is what we can do in healthcare. So for those of you just joining, I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Rob Brisk. He is the chief scientific officer at OLAS. We were talking about uh, large language models. And again, forgive me, I'm, I I do simplify deliberately because this is a, uh, you know, a brief 30-minute show getting into the details, you know, and I've listened to some of the AI podcasts. What's interesting, you could track the same as that stock price, the number of AI podcasts has gone yeah. exponentially <laughs> yeah. up. And I do not have the listening time for all of them, but they're all very long. I mean, they're hour plus shows because the detail that's necessary to really actually get to it. So 
um, you know, for anybody that's listening and says, well, no, that's not exactly right. We are sort of oversimplifying, certainly me, because my understanding is not as deep as Rob's, but that's part of the reason for having you on the show. We were talking about LLMs and, you know, the generation. One of the things that you said, and I want to sort of focus a little bit on this because, you know, there was a lot of talk from three point, I think it was five. And then, you know, when four was released, there was what what's the size of the model and so forth. And in fact, to date, I haven't seen anything published to say how big four is, number yeah. one. But as you looked from, you know, two to three, there was this sort of big increase. It's not as simple as that. I mean, yeah, sure, you can add all this, but that actually doesn't create necessarily better models, is my understanding. Is that a, a fair uh, assessment? Yeah, it, it, th- th- that's certainly not all there is to it. Mm, Although right. the scale that the so as the models get bigger, their potential increases on a almost as far as we've seen in the published data on an almost linear scale. Uh, now this is where some technical people in the audience are going to be going. That's not right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, yeah, broadly, <laughs> broadly, that's what we've seen. And to your point about no, I haven't seen it published either the model size. But I was at a panel discussion that Peter Lee was sitting on mm. earlier this year. Uh, the VP for Microsoft Research yep. for any any listeners who right. don't know, uh, and he let slip, he 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 let slip. Uh, he he used the, the words, "This is a multi-trillion parameter model we're talking about." Um, so no, there's there's a lot more to it than that, and 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 these things are fantastically difficult to train. You need huge amounts of data. You need to be very careful. I mean, in in fairness to OpenAI, um, you know, and and. OpenAI is a controversial organization, and 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 what I will say about them is they are anything but open, despite the fact that they were they were <laughs> yes, very were, good point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that, that's you know they were they were conceived of as a, as an organization to democratize AI, and then they built this huge model and it's proprietary and it's been you know yep. they're very closed, but they, they you know they've done an incredible job of training this thing. But as as you know, Nick, and I think as as everyone knows at this point, you know they're. There's a lot more to work through. And one mm. of the big issues that gets talked about in this space is, is hallucinations, which I think is an awful term. But Agreed. It, it's commonly understood what, what we mean by right. that. And these things make stuff up. They confabulate um, because they're not, you know, they they they, have, they give the appearance of human-like intelligence, but they, they're they not human. They're, they're, they're AIs who are trained for a certain job that they try their best to do. And sometimes they think what you want to hear is an answer that they've plucked out of thin air. Right. And therein lies the major... Uh, or one of the major pitfalls of these things in healthcare. Right. Um, and, and that's a challenge, I think, as a community, we're very much wrestling with at the moment. And, and you made the point earlier, Nick, that there's there's power in the combination of, um, you know, having backgrounds in a couple of different domains. And, and I think, to your point about the importance of physicians getting into this space, this is one of the key reasons we need physicians to be, um, you know, conversant in, in the language of modern AI, because only, only frontline healthcare professionals can can just instinctively see, okay, well, we could use the AI in this place and we can exercise some oversight. Whereas if we use an AI in this situation, that's going to be incredibly dangerous. Right. You know, the technologists, they tend to be amazingly bright. I've never felt so stupid as I felt working at NVIDIA because the people I was working with just could, you know, think circles around me uh, a lot of the time. But they 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 haven't done their, their you know, tens tens and tens of thousands of hours on the clinical coalface. And, and you right. just have to do that to understand the world of clinical medicine. So um, limited amount of time, I think it, it, it's important to get to some of the hype and you know the places for people to focus or think about because 
you know, I, we're both excited, but I, I, I also want to, you know, give some caution on, uh, on this whole concept. It's not the be all and end all. Tell us your um, top areas of, I, I, I'm going to call it over, over excitement hype that's, you know, inappropriate that you should look out for specifically around healthcare, where I think we, we, we need to exercise caution and clinical oversight. Yeah, great question. I mean, I mean, the answer is probably everywhere. We need to exercise caution and clinical oversight. I, <laughs> you, I doctor, think, you, you're playing know, the clinician. What a terrible answer! What a terrible <laughs> answer. The, uh, I think, um, I think it's a difficult one. Actually, I think that the problem with a lot of the hype at the moment is a question of timescale. Honestly, mm. I, 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 and I think that's that that's probably been the case for a while. I mean, I, I hate hype has been so detrimental to progress in in AI and healthcare, where where AI could do such good, and you know, particularly in the UK, you know, we, we we're in trouble. You know, we need we need mm. innovation, we need change, we need transformation and disruption. But people are very scared of AI, and 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 with good reason, because a lot of what they hear is is a load of nonsense from people trying to sell products. I think timescale is, is the big thing. I think I do see a world, and I do think I would like to see it in my career, where there's a constant AI second opinion. You know, maybe maybe it's mm. through like you know the, whatever the equivalent is to AirPods in ten years' time, and you just constantly have you know maybe an AI that can see the world through a, a camera that's on your phone, and it can hear the world through a microphone, and it can just process everything that's going on and, and talk to you, like in the film Her. Uh, you know, yeah. with Scarlett Johansson. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you know that te- I, I, the roadmap to that level of technology, I think, is very, very clear at this point. I, I don't see anything that's a major, major stumbling block to getting there within our lifetimes. Mm. And I think it could be a really, really good thing. But I think the question is, if someone tells you that's going to happen tomorrow, like absolute right. rubbish. If someone's trying to sell you this tomorrow, I think what we need to do is we need to build trust. We need to educate people, and we need to show them how you can use this technology in a safe and overseeable way. And actually, one of the things we're doing at Otis is we're using generative AI to um, make clinical suggestions that are based exclusively on um, you know, human-created evidence, guidelines, peer-reviewed mm-hmm. papers, that kind of stuff. Um, and you know, it, the idea is you'll be able to go into our app. So some of these features are still in development. You'll be able to go into our, our app, and you'll be able to ask a question, any clinical question. You know, how often do I how often do I image a patient with a thoracic aortic aneurysm? And you'll get an answer returned, but it will be from a guideline that's been written by humans. And I think if we start using this technology in this kind of way, where where we there's kind of generative AI in the loop, but actually you're still practicing medicine in a very conventional way. So the generative AI is just hooking you up with the evidence. We'll begin to build trust. We'll begin to build experience. We'll begin to educate the next generation of clinicians. And then one day we will progress to a point where we can rely more and more on what the generative AI has to say. And uh, and in the meantime, the technology will improve and, and it will warrant the trust more. But yeah, to your original question, Nick, I, I, th- I think one of the important points and, and, and probably a reasonable point as we come to the end of the discussion to just highlight is the fact that the only way we're going to um, we're going to understand how AI can be used and where we need that oversight most is by having clinicians in the loop and, and understanding right. both sides of the house. Yeah. 
I, I, I think great point, and I like that time scale. The one thing I would add that you you didn't call out that you sort of talked about was the trust issue, and that's the whole, you know, um, making sure that, A, we're delivering information that is at least reliable. I think one of the things that I've seen repeatedly is this sort of binary, uh, you know, it's an answer or it's, it, it's right or wrong, and that's really not the way that any of this works. It's not the way our brains work. It's, it's a, a percentage sort of approach. And importantly, the trust, and you talk about it with, you know, the the earpiece, uh, AirPods, I'm, you know, dating myself and say that I still have a pair of Google glasses, I'd love to sell them you know, <laughs> at some high, high value, considering how much they were at the time, you know, yeah, uh, I think we'll see something with that imagery, we've seen chat GPT four, um, you, you know, it is an exciting time. But as you rightly say, the importance of bringing clinicians in, like yourself with experience, but also our colleagues who don't need to be educated. We've got to elevate the whole um, uh, ocean to elevate the understanding because we need the clinicians who are working at the coalface to be able to contribute and deliver the insights as well as the appropriate trust and understanding of all of this to all of the people that are essentially using it. I've got to say, in in so many respects, very unsatisfying because this conversation was not long enough. As we do always, we've run out of time. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to commit you, if you will, uh, to coming back at another point in time to to sort of continue the conversation, if you would. But unfortunately, at this point, I have to say, um, Rob, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Nick. Yeah, been a pleasure. Thanks for joining me today. Do you have any better ideas or have you found a small incremental change that's brought about a big improvement in your world? Let's continue the conversation on our hashtag, The Incrementalist, or share with me at DrNick1 on Twitter. You can find more information about the show on our program page at healthcarenowradio.com. And tune in next time to hear my discussions with leaders and innovators from around the globe who've revolutionized their space by using small incremental improvements to achieve their moonshot. I'm Dr. Nick, the incrementalist, and I'm starting a revolution through evolution. <laughs> <laughs>